Monday. Welcome to Bring the Jury podcast with Luke and Brian Sheely. I'm Hannah. Um, we are coming to you live today from Columbia, South Carolina, um, where we're going to be talking about the Idaho 4 case, specifically what's going on with Brian Koberger. If you have any questions, you can always drop them in the comments section, the live feed. I'll be filtering that here um, and asking any questions that we may have. But yeah, so when you say filter, is that when you like block and mm-hmm. you like stop people from saying things? Yes, correct. I have had to, uh, yes, filter people out before. People that ask you like stupid law school questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't make me look like an idiot. What was it? It was a no, what was, what was the rule of perpetuity? Hey, yeah. Hannah, can you tell us the rule of perpetuity? That was just, yeah, that was uh, no, I can't. <laughs> and none of us can. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, so, ha ha ha, before we get started, <laughs> before we get started, well, you didn't like that reminder. if y'all ever want to follow us, um, or watch small clips of this throughout the week, um, you can follow us on TikTok, Instagram, TikTok, obviously, we're also on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, all those great places, and Brian always likes to remind us we're also on MySpace. Um, I need to update our I mean, I honestly song. think if MySpace is still a thing, we do need... We talk about it enough in Jess. I think Shirley Dahl needs a MySpace account. Who would be on your top friends? You? Yes. Well, yeah. <laughs> I hope so. Because I'd be managing um, it. I would make sure I was number well, one. Well, I think all of our TikTok followers, mm-hmm. we have to like, can we just, just as a, as like a, yeah. like a challenge. Anna Banana. Anna yeah. Banana would be in our top friends. Anna members. Banana. Let's do a TikTok challenge. Let's double up and let's see if MySpace is still, still a thing. Okay. Let's check out some yeah. of the functionality of it. I'll um, add that to my list. Bring out our old school stuff, our Segas and our uh, GoldenEye. Was GoldenEye a video game during my space time? Uh, well, it was during college for us in, in high school, so that would have yeah, been 97, 98. So Hannah was like... I was four. Four. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, we were drinking beer and uh, not studying hard enough. Right. Okay. Yeah. This has been a great um, (laughs) intro into our (laughs) talk for today. So if you joined us last week, you may remember that we were having some technical difficulties. It's not anyone's fault, but Brian did drop his phone in the sand when he was at the beach. So. um, Yep. So (laughs) I I have now purchased a new phone. (laughs) And that's why we look so crystal clear today. How do we look? We look pretty good. Yeah, we're looking great. Oh yeah. Um, Got the the fourteen Pro. So I'm not playing around. Oh, yeah. iPhone 14 Pro, people. Wow. That is no joke. Um, So we are going to be touching on some of the things that we talked about last week, but through, you know, a whole new lens because we do have new information um, about this case. So just a good little update, recap, fresh new ideas. So if you joined us last week, you should still totally follow along because it'll be like a totally new episode. And with the technical glitches, if there are any burning questions from mm-hmm. last week that you recall and you still want those answered, we can answer them right here and now. We sure can. Yeah. So let's go ahead and just jump right in. We're going to start with um, the death notice, just like we did last week. Yeah. Yeah, so Koberger was just your average quadruple murder mm-hmm. that has the whole nation in the grips of intrigue. And then, as we thought, they served death notice. And, you know, a death penalty trial is uh, way different from your average murder case. Um, Luke's tried, what, two? You've been involved in two or three at this point. Um, so we'll ask you some questions. Don't answer just yet. We're going to let this you know, content build, but the defense team would have been thinking about the possibility of a death case from the very beginning. They would have surrounded themselves by smart lawyers. Um, We just had Julia flash by. Speaking of a smart lawyer. Speaking of smart lawyers, Julia, you you made our video. You might as well come in and say hello. Um, But anyway, they would have had a mitigation team, psychologists, all this kind of stuff. And then it becomes kind of a political question of whether death is going to be sought or not. Is the case winnable? I'm not guess that's always a consideration. Or is it is death notice something that politically it must be done so that prosecutors can seek justice, get reelected, 
um, all that kind of stuff, but it um, it usually will push back a case, Luke. Why what does what a death penalty case take so much longer to do than your average murder case? Help enlighten our, our <laughs> listeners. Well, uh, typically because it's two phases. It's not just the guilt phase, which is a normal trial. You know, can the prosecutor prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt? If they can, in a death case, then there's a whole sentencing phase where the sentence is either life or death. So it's, you have twice the phases. You have enhanced jury selection process because the stakes are so high that you really want to know and you're allowed by law certain more enhanced procedures that we talked about before to select a capital jury. Oh, we're going to talk about that again. <laughs> but we're going to talk about that again. Fresh new content. Um, and that could be... Because I, I, we had a good point on that last time that we'll get to, but yeah, finish. finish well, just your... like, for example, in South Carolina, a murder trial, even a double murder trial, you're, if it's not death, your jury selection process might be a day. Um, because you're just not, by law, you're not really allowed, you're not allowed to conduct your own questioning as a lawyer of the potential jury. The judge still gets to conduct all the void dire. You only get attorney conducted void dire if the state is making a death case. And so that unlocks the entire much more advanced time consuming process um, that you can have rather than one day, it might take a month to pick a jury just because it's so important and there's so much more information and data and you get huge panels of prospective jurors and it may take me and the prosecutor uh, an hour to select one juror and decide whether they're qualified or not. Whereas in a, in a normal case, you just don't get all that. Luke, um, I know the last, and I'm just gonna think about that case you did in Aiken where it was a, a cop killing death penalty case. How long did it take for you to select a jury with a team that you were trying that with? How long did that take? Uh, that was a very quick one. It, it took like a week to okay. select a jury. But still, whereas some murder cases may wrap up in a week, I mean, we just did a murder case about a month ago that wrapped up in about a week. Right. Um, so in that case, it took you... Someone's at the door. Do I need to get it? <laughs> Carry on. Um, <laughs> very is it Julia is our associate is that if she's knocking at the door interrupting this we're going to have to bring her on oh someone at the front door oh this has never happened before is that, is that actually a client at the door yeah a client has come should, to the door should we drag him in yeah. What'd you have for lunch? Oh, it's your client. No, that's his name. Oh, his name is Brian. What'd you have for lunch? I had Uberito. What's Uberito? It's delicious, uh, quick, healthy Tex-Mex. Mm, sponsored a, by Uberito. <laughs> I had a bowl, it was chicken, it was avocados floating around. Yeah. Black beans, rice, all the deliciousness. Everything you need for a burrito bowl. Yeah, quick eat at the desk kind of things. I knew we were busy today. We were kicking off with lots of criminal cases. We were getting ready for the pod. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes we have clients at the door and we have to get with it. Yeah. <laughs> he, I mean, is, he has absorbed Luke. <laughs> so. It is now just us. Let's just, I guess we'll just keep it rolling. Well, so, I know he was talking about, I usually tune out whenever he starts talking. Luke was talking about, like, capital-style jury selection. And, you know, you get to actually really ask a lot of deep, meaningful questions to your potential juror who's going to decide life or death. And I was going to probe him to talk about something he likes to talk about, which is the Colorado method, where you're basically you know, using like what they call strip questions, where you're basically, you know, trying to, you know, basically say, you know, who's a killer and who maybe is not a killer. And so mm. you try to get someone to kind of get their aggravators out. Like, yeah, I would, you know, under this fact pattern, let's say, you know, uh, someone's child was, you know, kidnapped from a supermarket and tied up for three days and then set on fire. What do you think about that? Would that, mm. 
would you be able to be fair and unbiased or would that, is that just, you just gotta die. Someone's got to die for that kind of. Are all the questions circumstantial? No, like I think, so, I think some of the fact patterns can be pretty hard hitting, but like you're really trying to, from the defense perspective, you're trying to elicit people that would say, yeah, I'd kill that person. Sign me up, I'd do it. And so then the defense will know, all right, that's, okay. and, they, and they have, it's numerical. So you've got like, well, that's a number seven. You know, that person's a really bad killer. Whereas in like a one or two, because at the end of the question, or the fact pattern, well, or can you hold your oath and be fair and impartial and give this person a shot? Mm. And if anyone under like egregious facts says, yeah, I can, I could, you know, listen to both sides of it and understand the presumption of innocence, then that person gets deemed as a non-killer. And then, you know, hearing all this for dear, you can get someone that's a killer off the jury. So who was that? Someone show up client. A show up client? Yeah, just want to check in. Well, did you answer all the questions? Yeah. All right. So I was starting to discuss the Colorado method and how you can identify someone as a killer versus a non-killer. I was probably doing an inartful job of explaining it. Probably. Um, Do you want to talk to everybody about how you go about doing that since you've been trained in that? And we can kind of go from there. Sure. Um, In a nutshell. Here we go. It's just, we talk about lunch, so. It's just a revolutionary method for capital jury selection developed in Colorado by some great lawyers out there. Like who? Like David Wymore, for Hmm. example. Um, And a whole legion of great, awesome lawyers that developed, they said, you know, it doesn't really matter what someone's bumper sticker is. They create a method (laughs) that rates and identifies potential jurors based on on their tendencies from like, one and being would never ever convict anybody or sentenced to death based on religious belief so they just don't judge people it's part of their moral makeup to a seven who's always going to kill and, and vote for death based on just the charge itself I think they did pretty well um, and there's so many variables Luke, in between that end. I'm sorry um, but this, this the method creates kind of a a series of carefully staged questions that are meant to elicit that information very quickly from a, a prospective juror by kind of making them almost inflamed about a terrible set of facts and that you kind of get them to agree with you, yes, that you'd want to kill that guilty, guilty murderer, right? And that's the only thing that's fair. And if you if they agree with you, <laughs> then you know which way they're leaning and you can kind of strike them for cause, strike them for cause based on certain categories that a judge can't do anything with if they think they're if you think there's someone that could give life or be very open to mitigation which is what allows them to grant life it's you know by law if they find any mitigation they have to then you want to protect them isolate them encourage them you know insulate them to stick with their convictions and so that's the whole process as part of it is educating part of it is identifying jurors and it's very in depth the way it used to be, but also very effective. So honestly, in capital cases, a, good, a great example was the Parkland shooting where our friend Casey Secor was part of that team. He came in just for the, the jury selection process because he had been so well trained in it and started and then kind of morphed into part of the trial team. But they did an excellent job as far as I can tell on a heinous, heinous case of really picking a jury based solely on those issues. And then they got that surprise result, which was a life sentence. So that's an example of how really the jury selection process matters almost more than anything in a capital case these and days. And Luke, you've had an experience I'd like you to touch upon a little bit because you know, just because you pick a jury doesn't mean you're going to go forward in a trial. I mean, <clears throat> you had that um, death penalty case in Aiken that was an officer shooting and after the jury was seated and selected after that week, the state said, we're going to give your guy life based on what we see here because we don't think we can get a death sentence. That's in, correct. In front of this jury. T- tell everybody about that a little bit. Well, that's basically it. I mean, we've been offering life throughout the entire case. He'll plead to life. He'll plead to life. No, we can't. We won't. We can't. And it wasn't anything disrespectful. It was just the state's position. And... But through this week-long jury selection process where we were very well versed in the capital Colorado method and they were not, 
but they were kind of picking it up on the fly kind of as we were going. We became very effective of getting rid of, of all the killers, as we would say, people that would rank at sevens, sixes, fives. Um, and seating, number one, very good jurors in terms of being open to life that we would rank as a two or three. Um, so getting rid of the killers, putting life givers on there, but there were a couple particular jurors. One in particular was a young African-American male, and our client was a young African-American male who was, an, who was a two, and, and he was protected, and he was educated, and he was on that jury, and they had some strong concerns about him, and basically came to us on the eve of trial and said, come meet us, we, we're going to make you this offer, we've got some paperwork, and it was just a, a momentous occasion, and that was really part of the kind of state's press conference afterwards, it was based on the jury, they didn't think the jury would ever come back, the one of that particular makeup, on a death. So that was a great, <clears throat> so great the, situation for our the client. The power of jury selection. Bring the, bring the jury. Bring the jury. So bring the right selected jury. <laughs> yeah, we have a few ones and sevens in the, uh, in the comments already. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, some ones, some sevens. But Well, here's the thing that stands out to me. Let's play a little game. Okay. And now we've covered this case a little bit. But Hannah. Okay. So, what evidence covering this case with us? What stands out as the evidence of this case? And then let's talk about how that could play into jury selection. What's the big evidence that you recall in this case? Um, I think the contact that he had via Instagram with the victims is pretty damning like a few days before I think like going he wasn't um, responded to so there's so that stands out that stands out to me just that he had contact with these people um, how do you feel about the DNA is that big in your mind yeah or do you think that's not mm-hmm. so big DNA and we'll talk about that. We got a whole discussion about the DNA, but let's just generally say DNA. And I guess just like the overall idea of everything. So I mean, he fits. He fits the bill for bushy eyebrows, athletic build, white. What's the car again? It's a Hyundai Hyundai Elantra. White Elantra. That stuff. So you would say. So the three of those things all together. So he fits the. Physical description of one of the living witnesses, mm-hmm. who I have thoughts on that. I think they're going to have her change her story, or she oh. has maybe changed her story on that. But physical description is good enough. And then the car, which she drives a car like that that's seen in the area. All right, so mm-hmm. that's like four different pieces of evidence, and all that being, you know, kind of keeping him in a circle of severe suspicion, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So then, so we were talking about this on our last episode that got all glitchy, but, you know, the decision to go death gets, as Luke has talked about, gets you enhanced jury selection. And enhanced jury selection, because there's two phases, right, Luke? There's the guilt phase and there's the penalty phase. Mm -hmm. So you get, like, a juiced up, uh, I mean, in your case, you got a, at least one or two folks on your jury in that cop killing case that you would consider like twos, right? Right. And that was enough for the state to be concerned enough to give you the life deal. But let's just say here, there's no way in the world they're going to give up any offer. But does it give you on the guilt phase with a relatively circumstantial case? It kind of keeps Koberger in the circle of suspicion, but, you know, doesn't necessarily do anything else. Does that give you an empowered jury, Luke, where maybe, maybe they don't get beyond a reasonable doubt? If other things come into it, we're going to talk about the alibi notice. We're going to talk about this living uh, friend who's a witness that they really tried hard to get to the prelim. um, And they ended up just taking her statement. And we don't really know what has come about that, whether that's been, it can be a totally change in her identification of Koberger, Koberger or the person that may have been in the house. But like, 
you think the state is thinking about that at all when they seek death, Luke? Or do you think the defense is like, well, it's death, but we also have, we're going to go for the, the big win. Because in, in the Nicholas Cruz case down in Florida, they weren't, they totally were picking their best jury they possibly could, and they totally waived the guilt phase. Well, they, they pled. Said, they, they pled. We're saying we're not going to. Right. Right. They pled to that. We're not going to mess around with you, jury. There's, we, we're not trying to say he's not guilty of anything. We're just going to talk about the penalty phase and try to convince you that he needs a life sentence based on everything we've, we've got for you. And they, they did get life. Here, it's like, you know, they're going out and there's some uh, dusty, like, um, you know, weed balls kind of going out in some kind of like old western yard and you got the state walking out slowly you got Coburger's defense team walking out slowly states cocking back with their death notice defense is squaring them up saying you can't prove it we're going to pick a good jury is there any way in the world that backfires on the state Luke with a with a empowered jury what do you think you're asking me like 10 questions on <laughs> one diatribe but what but basically, <laughs> it's, I would say from a thousand feet, it's very rare in a case where death has been noticed that a defense team is, is claiming alibi. Like usually, the cases are horrific. That's why they're they have these aggravators that are making them eligible for death. And it's usually not like, oh, I wonder who did it. It's usually like. You know, the person is mentally deranged, slaughters his whole family, was chewing his wrists off when the cops got there and wrote his, wrote his confession in blood on the wall. So, like, they're usually that kind of stuff. Or, you know, someone really just had years of trauma and just lost his top. And, but, you know, and you're, you're going at the state for a couple of years saying, look, he, he's so broken. Let me tell you about how he was raised. He just, he can't help himself. It, it, I'm, I'm not a national expert on death penalty. I've been involved in a few, but usually you see, you don't see a, hey, we didn't even do it because a lot of times you're wanting to get a benefit in trial. It's almost sometimes a foregone conclusion. So you don't, if you select that jury, you run the risk of really infuriating them. That if they don't buy your alibi and you've been sitting there the whole time through the, 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 um, guilt phase being like wouldn't me wouldn't me wouldn't me and all these grieving family members you lose credibility right? you lose credibility they're upset and then by time if they find you guilty by the time you get to the sentencing phase that jury doesn't want to hear about how you were you know you wet the bed until you were 10 so like it's a huge strategy we think you're a liar <laughs> you and your lawyers right. are liars and a lot That's of times right <laughs> and you know sometimes you'll pump a little hard at it even if you truly aren't going alibi you'll say well you know what it wasn't murder it was manslaughter and you go for that you just didn't have the mental state and maybe you get some jurors that still have some as they say residual guilt they've convicted your guy but it wasn't an easy decision but now some of those same jurors that had some doubt at first during the guilt phase they don't want to give your guy a death sentence they're, they're going to give him life because they have this residual guilt but if you go hell for leather and claim alibi, my opinion is that you better know what in the world you're talking about and be able to prove it. Because otherwise it could be a catastrophic backfire. Um, so it's, it's very intriguing to me. I don't, I don't typically see that. Um, but this could be, this case is intriguing for, for many reasons. Uh, somebody, I know we're getting to this later but it sounds like somebody who's following wants to know how is his I was driving around gonna pan out weren't you talking about how your theory what you think may they may do with that doing are you okay if we jump to we can oh sorry sorry. (laughs) no he doesn't like when we get off track well I just like to I mean we can Meander around the tracks. It's not me. It's the people. It's just well, what the people want. Let's answer the people. So yeah. this is a democracy. So you know the Idaho alibi notice statute is the same as South Carolina. So we're pretty familiar with it. I mean, it's not word for word the same, but you basically have to pr- provide the prosecution with your alibi notice ten days before trial. 
unless requested by the judge. Um, and it's got to be 10 days, and it's got to be you know, enough for the prosecution to investigate the claim of alibi. Um, give them just enough time to get it done. So, you know, I think with some of these filings and some of the, the information about an alibi defense, the state has been very eager to get on top of that. And the defense kind of said, well, you'll get it when you get it. We'll, we'll comply with all the rules and, and the case law. And they have, but I think what's come out last week a little bit was kind of some generalized, keep the judge happy, we'll tell you a little bit, and then we, we reserve the right to supplement. And so, Luke, you want to talk about what you what you read in a little bit? Well, it's just interesting because but when we did this podcast last week, the defense was basically saying, we're in compliance with the rule. We don't have to basically tell you right now. But between then and now, maybe due to pressure or maybe due to a strategic decision to please the judge, they've released this filing that basically says, he had a long habit of going for drives alone. He would go for drives at night. That doesn't sound creepy at all. (laughs) He is not claiming to be at a specific location at a specific time. We can't say, no witness can say precisely where he was at each moment of the hour. So it's very... He was driving, um, and, he, and I, I like this quote, Mr. Koberger has complied to the extent possible at this time. So I think it's kind of like, get off my back. We'll tell you he's driving. And you know, your first reaction is, well, that ain't exactly helpful because the state's theory is he drove alone in the wee hours of night and did a horrific murder with a big knife. Um, so, but like, I think, the way the language is couched and we're complied with the extent possible at this time, there's certainly more to it. I mean, you're not going to raise alibi, which literally means he's elsewhere, and then just float a soft kind of theory that works with the prosecution. You can't float a soft alibi. But what they're saying is, had you given us prosecutors a real prelim and not had a secret uh, indictment proceeding we would have drawn this out through testimony of your witnesses and so it's like only through your own choices have we been hampered and it's only because we didn't get that proceeding that you don't know so i found that to be very interesting i like that that's fair i mean they're never going to get a prelim on a death case never a million years they're going to get a prelim on a death case so i do like that and there's this witness that they were trying to subpoena up from out of state She's got something to say that is different. Um, And that, there's the the driving alibi to be successful is going to have to have some witness behind it or be like 10 days before trial. Like, totally supplement. And here's the video from Wendy's where he was at that drive through 15 getting minutes away. Lonely, lonely, (laughs) but but up all night. With the receipt. With the receipt. Right. Because otherwise. It doesn't do much um, except help the prosecutor, which is what uh, a local prosecutor, not involved in this case, was asked to comment, and he happily dived in, dove in from uh, Idaho. This guy basically said, yeah, as a prosecutor, I'm looking at what he's committed to, and that's consistent with my case. He was up. He was out. He was alone. He was in that Hyundai Elantra, and all of a sudden, things are kind of, as a prosecutor... You know, with the cell phone, supports that information, no one else was with him. His alibi actually is hurting him. So, yeah. I mean, that's certainly a take is alone in your car. That's not an alibi that helps us. So, I think the defense is definitely keeping their cards close to the chest, but, but trying to somewhat comply with tension from the, the public media or the judge uh, to say something about it. So, it's not because no one wants a pointless delay. Um, so I think I think they're trying to get a little credibility with. I mean, we'll expect a massive supplemented alibi notice, um, certainly within outside of that ten day window. And the thing about an alibi notice as well is what I just had someone ask me to wave. Oh, it's like hey. So hey. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the thing about an alibi notice is as soon as you turn that over, like your alibi witnesses are getting like. Hammered. Mauled by law enforcement. 
Like, um, <laughs> so I think they've got something else. They're Which is probably why you only have ten days of tournament. Right, right. they're coughing. They're keeping it up their sleeve. They're keeping up their sleeve and trying to say that they've at least been somewhat forthcoming. Hmm. Now, if the state was really genuinely concerned about this and wanted something done about it, they can have a hearing and request a judge to expand the timeline for the alibi notice. Let's. This is a serious matter. It takes serious investigative work. Let's go ahead and judge. We want it 30 days before trial. Um, or I don't see how that would be possible. I don't. I don't either. But like, it's, it's like kind of like stop complaining and just get real. Yeah. Um, speaking of getting real, we have a October second, twenty twenty three trial date mm. that is still going. Um, we have there haven't been any extensions or requests by. The defense to delay that. I mean, most capital lawyers and even murder cases we do, and we're usually, unless it's like really old case and it needs to get to trial, we're always we're not concerned about a continuous request. We always can get more time to investigate a claim, to be more prepared. But um, apparently, Coburger's team are saying we're ready. I think. I mean, I think they got what they like, and just, <laughs> this is like the ultimate game of chicken, where they're going to plow forward and hit hard in the guilt phase. And <clears throat> I mean, I guess if you do, in fact, have a slam dunk alibi, you don't really have to worry too much about the second phase. You don't have to really map out your mitigation. I mean, that's. But the other thing is, it's post conviction relief. If you well, if you did have it. Obviously, you may find it important to go to the prosecutor and show your cars because they might be barked up the wrong tree. Well, but no. you know. I know. We have prosecutors that we would never give anything to until the right moment because we don't trust them. Right. And we have some that we trust with everything. And we know they're going to take the investigative work we've done or evidence we've found and they're going to do the right thing with it. So some will, some won't. So it could be some of that going on or just the politics behind it are too great where a prosecutor could never, even in the face of insurmountable video footage on in the Wendy's drive through getting that big, I want mine. Baconator, biggie size. Four for four. Biggie sized. Hold the mayo. You've been looking at pictures of, Coburger, mm-hmm. what, what is Coburger going to order in that late night Wendy's drive through What do you think he's going to get? So he's he's going to get something get, weird. Yeah, right? he's going to get a strawberry frosty <laughs> without fries. And a plain baked potato. And a plain baked potato <laughs> with, a, with a side of fruit. <laughs> That's what he's going to get. He's going to get something so off the wall. This man. Mm. No combos, all like. Individual little side, side child's side. menu. Yeah. <laughs> Within his, like, the right macros or something. Because remember, he's got to keep that athletic build. That's right. I mean, now he needs a few more Wendy's runs. Yeah. The, his defense needs to start beefing him up a little bit. Yeah. Right. You don't want him to seem too stabby agile. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. Of course, uh-huh. of course, now he's all suited up. Since they served death on him, every public court appearance he's got a. You know, he can't be looking in shackles. He's going to be, you know, in a suit. You know, not, best if they and, really know what's You know, with all these gag orders, yeah. now more than ever, they're not, they are not going away because this is a high-profile case. So there'll be, you know, there's not going to be a lot of public dissemination of material except for these little filings here and there we get. Um, if only the state had allowed that freedom. Mm. This whole case could be blown wide open. Um, all right, so but I think it's still getting so continued. You Someone's going to ask for continuance. Yeah, October, less than a year, four body, nationally, internationally publicized uh, quadruple homicide death case. There's no way it goes October 2nd. Well, here's the other thing about this case that I think the audience needs to know. Like, the, on a case of this magnitude, both sides are only doing this case. They're not doing any other any other casework. That's a that's a great point. They're not. Talk about that. I mean, so that, like what so what happened? I mean I mean that's the reality of it. I mean, they're only doing this case. Coburger's lawyers are not returning other client calls. They're getting they've gotten special, you know, dispensation to just focus on this. Same with the prosecutor. They're not 
prosecuting other cases. I mean, they're only working on this, so it's not like Luke answering the door uh, and all of a sudden there's a client walking up. They're in a dungeon. They're like, not literally a dungeon, but they're focusing. They've got their war room set up. I remember Luke, as a young, as a young lawyer, if he had a big murder case, I remember you got a lot of flack because you would get court protected. I did on one case. For like two months in advance. and I mean, Some new judge who may or may not sit very high in the Fourth Circuit now, <laughs> um, who may or may not have been nominated for Supreme Court. <laughs> Or in the in the final uh, thought analysis, when she was new, she did sign off on order for court protection for me and my co-counsel for like two months because I had my first homicide by child abuse case, and I was like, so I was just infuriating all these prosecutors. Were like, I need you to come in here and handle this. Her one prosecutor in particular is like, Luke. Come yeah. out of your lair, yeah, Luke. You hiding in your lair, pulling up in my, <laughs> in my lair. And, uh, yeah, that was a little excessive at the time. But. I just picture, like, that Charlie Day meme where you've got, like, all of the evidence on the wall with, like, the red string. Uh, it's a lot of that. Oh, yeah. You haven't slept in, like, oh, two yeah. weeks. It's a lot of oh, beautiful I mean, minds. You're just, like, strung out. Like, I'm going to figure it out. Well, this conference room when we're trial prepping turns into a big war room, basically. Yeah. We have stickies up everywhere. Mm. Just like the movies, y'all. Just like the movies. But bottom line is, yeah, I mean, that... October court trial date is right around the corner, but they're not doing anything else um, other than this case. So what happens if you had cases that you were actively working on already? Well, he's got the public defender, and so all those cases are being reassigned. Same with the prosecution. They get okay. reassigned. Hmm. Backburnered. Uh, Backburnered, reassigned. Like Oprah out here, you get a case. 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 But yeah, so Luke says it's going to get continued. I don't know, man. This is a big old game of chicken. Big old game of chicken. Uh, well, it's easy for the prosecutor, I think. If 10 days, just before 10 days before trial, the defense turns over some alibi evidence that is like earth-shattering, that, and the prosecutor can say, we asked for it in July, we asked for it in August, we got some big reference to driving cars, like Tracy Chapman and... <laughs> <laughs> so and, and here they are turning over their fast car going through Wendy's video and we need to interview every worker we need to we need to subpoena employee records we need to get IT to look at it we need some country musician has yeah that's some big that's some drama what I hear that she's like not that upset about it and that he's doing alright and that he changed none of the lyrics and that she's got like half a million in royalties off that song going pretty big all of a sudden. Well, that's great then. Because I feel like, well, I think her, like what I, think I saw. Her, I think her that, fans are like, who is this dude? Yeah, because you can't like, take the credit where credit is due. Yeah. But I guess that's not exactly, that wouldn't be the full story. I guess she's sitting pretty on a yacht, not worried about it. I think, yeah, apparently she's very kind of like, a little bit of a shut-in, is not really in the public eye at all, and she was briefly interviewed, and she's like, I'm fine with it. He didn't yeah. change anything. Checked her bank accounts. <laughs> Don't but worry. I think it's always just about like the, our bank accounts will be after uh, Uber Rito. Yeah, a tasty, Uber Rito, a tasty, tasty <laughs> lunch treat. Fast. Did y'all talk about that? Yep. yep. When you did, went, you also have Uber Rito? Sure, I did. Mm. Why is Uber Rito? Why is Uber Rito great, Luke? I was telling Hannah, you're kind of the health health stuff. It's all protein and uh, well, no fat. You can you can make those orders that way, or you can get what we got. <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> Anyway, Uber has many options. If Uber wants to sponsor our podcast, we will eat it every day for the rest of the day. You know, we actually used to You guys would be like the new Jared, but for... We went through a phase of Uber It's good. It's quick. Anyway, but... But you think there's going to be a continuance. And it's easy for the prosecutor, if it's based on some significant alibi stuff, they can say, we tried to get it. And now they're forcing us to ask continuance, wasting everybody's time and scheduling. And a judge probably would grant it because... They don't tend to like this. We complied with the well, essence, the thrust of the law kind of stuff. I'd be, I'd be so upset because they're complying with the rule. We've got a trial date. Their client's locked up without a bond. They're going to have, with a date like this, as you know, hundreds of witnesses under subpoena, law enforcement. But the jury is the thing that's the biggest thing. I mean, they will have hundreds of jurors. 
and questionnaires will go out to get preliminary information. It'll be a huge ordeal, so you don't want a last minute continuance of a death case. You want as early as possible, like months in advance if it's not gonna go. For... We're in August. I know, that's why it's gonna be a cluster. I don't think it's getting continued. How about we bet an Uberito delicious lunch on that? I think it's going forward. I think Game of Chicken is on. And everyone's gonna have a crash course uh, of deliverance and justice. Um, I think it's gonna, they're just gonna rock it. I think Koberger's like totally into this. I don't think he, I mean, the way he strides into court with a suit and everything, looking all deliberate and What do you think he's into? Sorry, I was, what? I think he's into this trial. I think he's into, oh. way into this. Well, if, yeah, I mean, if we're kind of diving back into this whole, he studied the criminology of it all. Like maybe this is all like part of his plan. Like this is just his life dream to like be part of something like this. He's just like, I've been out driving alone for a decade now, hoping that I'll drive past some murder and I'll get caught up in it. Right. <laughs> I mean, like, maybe. or maybe it's part of the flip side, which is to plan such a carefully manipulated crime. Right. That it's kind of like the old Ed Norton some movie where like. It's like a great escape. You get caught and then you go through the histrionics of being exonerated and then you write your book and retire. And then he can be the professor of criminology at Princeton who can talk to you about, you want to take his class because he can tell you how he, whether he got away with murder or how he was wrongfully arrested in the first place. I mean, I don't know. Crazier things have happened, but. Uh, I mean, college professors routinely have crazy eyebrows. That's true. So he's got that. Check. Got, got that going for him. He's got real life experience going for him now. And I feel like a lot of Elantras too are in those parking lots. Um, and I don't think that Elantra is going to have the same type of black box that um, Murdaugh's like, late model suburban had. Oh, know. for the GPS like OnStar did? Yeah, I don't think it's going to have that. Mm. Well, that's potentially <laughs> the thing. I mean, do you think Coburger yes. would drive a car with OnStar data? I would hope not. No. Mm, yeah. Um, okay. So yeah, I think we want to talk a little bit about the other than the alibi kind of dust up. Before the alibi dust up, there was the planted evidence dust up. Um, yeah. See, I usually am pretty good about our transitions into the next thing, but you're right. Once we, Luke, once we Luke. got once we got off, well, it's my fault. Now I don't really know where we are. So you know. You're gonna dig me out of this hole. All right. Here we go. Stay with me, Hannah. Stay with me. So, the state got all pissy because in a lot of these filings, I mean, there's still outstanding discovery, all right? And so, one of the biggest um, battles in this case is going to be the DNA. And there's, D, you know, Koberger's DNA is uh, touch DNA, and it's on the button of a sheath um, for a knife that is left on the crime scene. And it's not a DNA profile that is from like fluids or anything like that is literally touch. So I touch my brother's little head and then I touch my note and now I have definitely transferred my brother's DNA onto this, this piece of paper here. And so that's a level of DNA that can be attacked. And so basically in some of these filings, Koberger's defense team are saying, listen, number one, you're not giving us all of the DNA stuff. Like, they still have not turned over the state an entire lab that looked at this DNA when they popped out this hit on Cobra. And that's really annoying the defense. It would annoy us too. But basically, you know, in some of these kind of response filings, the defense has basically said that it's transferred DNA. It's imperative that, you know, we kind of get down to all this discovery violations in terms of the lab. Um, potentially this DNA could come from a different source and it could be, you know, planted there and that got the state all riled up. Oh my God, you're talking about planting, planting evidence and how dare you, you know, we're law enforcement, this and that. We, good luck, you know, proving that. Ho, ho, ho. And like they did all that kind of stuff. And the defense is really talking about this. They're talking about, you know, Koberger's DNA or, or like that kind of chromosome that could be a male member of his family, like his dad, mm -hmm. you know, 
some of this stuff that hasn't been provided is like coming from like proprietary genetic like uh, DNA testing, like you go send twenty three and me, yeah, and so like some of that is not. Don't do this, but no, like, do it. But what the what the defense is really saying is this: you got his DNA, and you've also got hundreds of law enforcement people looking at this stuff. Yes, you are collecting items of evidence from the crime scene. We're not saying you planted a a knife sheath at the crime scene. We're saying that the type of DNA this is, touch DNA, if not handled properly, could have been transferred in processing. But that was fun. I mean, looking at all that, they were going back and forth and getting pretty agitated. Um, and so, yeah. you know, that that is something that I'm sure the defense will attack as they go out gunslinging on this case. And they get a little bit of leg to stand on because they're going to have some expert that can talk about how that can happen as you're comparing different sources of DNA with evidence collected if you're sloppy. But it also is it's somewhat consistent as a DNA outlier when you have no other DNA evidence really incriminating him where you would expect to see it on clothing, in his car. Fingernails was, of the victims. There was such a close struggle with Fingernails. these folks. Fingernails of victims who were fighting for their lives. You know, all that slashing and cutting and blood spatter and transfer of his clothes to his car seat, to his steering wheel, to his apartment. It's just nothing. It's Damn. nothing there. And there isn't any obvious evidence of like luminol cleanup or anything that you would see with those agents. So like... It kind of gives the defense a leg to stand on to say, well, because we don't see all of that, it's more likely that you could see a sloppiness. So we want to know about the labs. Where is it coming from? Where was it tested? So it is pretty interesting. The thing that stands out for me in particular is we've got these four victims and none of them have Coburger's DNA under their fingernail. So I just got Ow. my brother's, my twin brother, so, you know, identical DNA. Oh, uh, that's so, not going to do much for you. All right. Sorry. Hannah. I just got Hannah's DNA under my fingernails by just touching her like that. I didn't realize that it would be that light. Yeah. I mean, it, it, DNA is sloughing off. I, mean, I could claw off. your face off and they could scrape my nails and be like, that's not going to do any good. <laughs> 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 so, 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 but, in that moment. <laughs> Luke and I, you know, we do a lot of murder cases and we represent a lot of, you know, defendants and cases involving stabbings and they're very messy it's a very personal violent kind of thing and it's very very frequent that you have a not just a singular victim if you have like a one victim case but you got four yeah four victims here with an opportunity to fight back within you know you're getting stabbed and your first reaction is to stop the attacker you're clawing you're screaming you're fighting and spatter blood on on Everywhere. The, the very flexible athletic killer. So you're going for his face, you're going for his hands, everything. Yeah, how long, how much time had passed when he was arrested or brought in? It was a while. Okay. A couple of weeks. But I mean, I wonder, because I mean, there's, there's the report that I think it was at Xana that put up like quite a fight. I mean, would he have... Like scratches on Potentially, him? yeah. Actual wounds that, I mean, mm-hmm. I've got scratches on my arms from yard work. I mean, it, yeah. they would still be potentially visible a week to I guess time. unless he was clo- full, I mean, fully covered. Yeah. yeah, I think the killer, to avoid all that transfer of DNA and blood and hair, and would have to be wearing some type of, like, Dexter kill suit or something. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I don't. I mean, but that still has to be. That still has to be like balled up and taken and disposed of in a way that doesn't transfer. Like I don't. It's a very. I mean, for the Dexter analysis, Dexter would have a kill room set up, so he would like obviously drug the victim and bring them to his tarped off like kill room, and then he would just tidy it all up, and that was good. But he's whoever this is is going into this place and would have to be somehow isolated against all that transfer of blood and DNA material to not then go with him somehow. So that is a curious one. Your wheels are turning. What do you think? Unless it was someone else. I'm just still thinking about the fingernail scrapings. I'm thinking about to the Murdoch case where Maggie as a victim had, you know, she just apparently had her nails done and she had like the, the gardener's DNA 
under her nails. Yeah, a small amount. A small amount, but, but even still at, there. Even at, like even after like apparently her nails were done that afternoon. So you know, it's just it's a real easy way to get physical evidence of your attacker, and we have four different individuals with none of it there. And so that I, is very interesting. It, it's a point the defense will certainly hammer on, mm-hmm. along with, of course, this alibi that's going to get massively fleshed out. And then with whatever kind of investigative work they've done with this living witness, um, which they were so eager to get her to the prelim. So very interesting. But we've got a trial date set. We got, you know, tumbleweeds out in an old uh, Idaho, you know, western town. We've got the state, you know, with... The pressure to get justice and thousand yard stares, seek death versus Cobra. Spin tobacco. Cobra's team is like, you ain't got it. You ain't got the juice, you know. And you got gonna have an, uh, the type of jury selection that defense lawyers don't ever get to empower a jury. So it's real high stakes. And you know, I think I said this before, and you touched on this, Luke. This is an alibi death case. It's un- I'm sure it's not unheard of. I'm sure there's cases that have been, you know, handled this way, but lost very quickly. Yeah, mostly it's like the Cruz case. Right. It's hard it, to think of alibi death. Cases. It's like the Tim Jones case in, here in South Carolina. It's the Aurora Theater case out in Colorado. It's it's mitigation. It's let's let's right. let's, let's not let's, let's not insult the jury about right. the guilt phase. Let's just try to save a life, and that's. That's not what's happening here. I mean, mm-hmm. everyone's loading for bear, so. Mm-hmm. But you owe me a delicious Uberito if it uh, stays on track, and I'll owe you a delicious Uberito lunch. Extra it, cilantro, cojito cheese. Oh, extra cheese. cilantro. <laughs> I'm so curious in the comments, are you somebody that likes cilantro? Or do you like cilantro? Oh, I, we love cilantro. Okay, do, do y'all all, do you agree on almost all flavor profiles, or do you have? Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. Oh, really? Right. Wow, that's so interesting. Twins are fascinating, aren't they? <laughs> if you say, some people have like if the, you say so. <laughs> some people have that like cilantro gene or whatever where it tastes like soap. Right? Oh, yeah. 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 No, I love cilantro. Oh, yeah. Cilantro's Cilantro. Cilantro the best. Mm. Yeah, cilantro is the best. Mm. Um, I had something crazy happen. Do, do we have time for a side, you side tell story? Sure. I had the craziest thing happen yesterday. So. We were just enjoying a rainy Sunday in our living room, and all of a sudden, a high-speed chase zooms past our street, wow. on our street, and the so someone had stolen a car off 77, and then police were chasing them. They peel into our neighborhood, and they slam into a tree, wreck the car. The guy gets out of the car and keeps running. Hop Spence, they never got him. Oh, man. They never found him. I tried to run after him and be like, you need representation. Did you, did you see him running? Do you need the shit? Let, let me slow you down uh, so maybe you'll get caught and also tell you uh, about some future representation. No, but it was wild. I'll have to show you all videos of it. It's It was crazy. He doesn't need representation if he doesn't get caught. Yeah, I mean, I don't think... Yeah, I think he's... Uh, Quite athletic. Athletic build, as yeah. some would say. Well, yeah. <laughs> How are his eyebrows? I didn't get a look at the eyebrows. But, uh, yeah. Anyways. Little, little. Yeah, so if you're from Columbia, that was just some hot news happening in the area. Um, yeah, there's been a lot anyways. of, like, running lately, it seems like, in the news. I don't know really? if it's the heat, but, like, running with bad results as well. Like crashes and fatalities yeah. Yeah. and... Oh. You know, not good. Very bad results. Mm-hmm. I think it's like a trend right now for the young folk to steal cars. I think you can like go on TikTok and right. figure out like how to steal certain models of cars. They'll like show you. Oh, yeah. I don't know. And so I think that's happening. Yeah. But no one watching steal a car. Don't do that. But if you do and you need representation, <laughs> call the Sheelys. That's right. Well... That was a random little story. What else do we have left for today? Or is that about it? I have we think hit everything? We've covered the the high points. We've covered this. the high points. Well, if y'all have any questions, go ahead and drop them. Um, I know a lot of people are cu- were curious about the DNA, which we touched on. No pun intended. Ha ha. <laughs> you didn't <laughs> that, that took no, me. Um, let's see. Oh, people want to see the outfits. 
Or just, just where you got your outfits from. What? Yeah, they want the lawyer outfit check. Our court fits? Yeah, court fits. There's nothing special. I, I honestly forgot about the podcast today. Um, you know, <laughs> Can't believe they actually. Uh, We're actually a little bit twenty today, aren't we? Yeah, twenty. Right. Got grays and blues. We got and some uh, very some fry boots, actually. Some bonobo pants. Uh, yeah. Shirt. This is a great question. Thank you, guys. This is a uh, our our office wear. You know, go to court, we'll suit up a little bit. But, you know, you get the typically always in blue. Blue is the blue is the brand. Blue and white, but we do a lot of blues. Sleeves rolled up. Is it true that blue is more trusting? Like people are, like, versus well, black? I just yeah, I yeah. heard that. We are all into blues and grays and browns. Um, we don't really do black suits. And then when we're in court, we never button our suit jackets because the idea is, you know, you got something to hide if your suit jacket is buttoned. So oh. we're, we're open, hmm. open to persuade a jury, open to... Yeah, whatever. Plus, too many burrito bowls. Airborne. It's hard to button those jackets anyway. We do have a question about that DNA. Um, how do we know that there isn't evidence under the fingernails? Would that have had to have been presented already or no? We couldn't yeah, discover that I think already. that would have yeah. been... It would have to already be out there. That would have been out there. Because, I mean, if you recall, in the very beginning of this case, they put, a, they put the DNA into the long affidavit for the probable cause warrant and a lot of these search warrants as well. I mean, it, it really did. I mean, I think Luke's got it. We had a 25 page kind of filing about everything they had mm-hmm. and it included the DNA. And so, yeah, they so don't, that would have been there. I think everything we have on the DNA is out except for some of the sourcing documents about the lab. But I mean, we would have heard about slam dunk, you know, scratch DNA under victims' fingernails. Oh, yeah. That would have been um, out there. It's just not there, which is why I think the the defense has this kind of extra bravado to claim, you know, transfer on the one DNA that connects because where's the rest of it? Yeah. Um, so that's... The, the state would love to have had that. I mean, this crime scene... I mean, DNA. the juxtaposition on that issue, this crime scene, and the jury will get to see it, will be so horrific. It will be really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, when we are trying a murder case, and the you know we always try to limit within reason, like certain things are so graphic that would really inflame the passions and the prejudice outside the bounds of what's lawful. But the jury does get a chance to see the crime scene. They're going to see you know these wounds. They're going to see how. How horrific it is, and if I'm the defense, I'm saying okay. I might even go to it. I know there was some discussion about it being torn down, and they had to preserve oh, yeah. it. I think it's being. I think it got torn down. I think there was maybe a plan to, and there's. I would not have done intervention. That. Um, I, I can't remember, but but the, the bottom line is, absence of DNA. You got this one little sheath with transfer DNA on the button, and no DNA under these victims in such a brutal crime scene. Uh, it'll be it'll be powerful in terms of reasonable doubt for the defense. I know we touched on this earlier, but somebody wanted to talk more about um, the GPS tracking. Do we think that, um, I know Luke, you gave your answer, but do we think that the car, the Elantra in question, is going to have the same kind of data, data that Alec Murdoch's? Um, I do not. <laughs> uh, I don't know what kind of car he drove. I just I know it was, but his car was like a... Maybe souped up twenty twenty suburban yeah. or something, but I don't think this older Elantra. Uh, it wasn't that new, Luke. Murdoch's was like, well, if that's what you're talking about, <clears throat> I'm I'm happy to be corrected on that. But if it does contain any kind of black box data, GPS start stop data with the computer, um, I'm sure it's being actively investigated. I'm sure it's already been actively investigated. Um, so. But as the older the car, the cheaper the car, the less likely it's going to have that wealth of information, which is why when I do my, my crimes, I drive my 77 MGB. You knew that was coming. You would look so ridiculous. And he's going to blame you for it. Or would I look? And also, that car is fairly loud. I, when you pull up to the office and that drop top, is it? It's, it's pretty throaty. I can hear you coming a mile away. I'd much rather someone say loud car versus 
Luke's car. <laughs> <laughs> your car is extreme. Your car is very distinctive in Columbia. It's bright blue in a color they don't really make anymore, and it's really tiny, and it's just it's loud. Someone says they have a '74 MGV. Oh, nice. nice, nice, nice. You guys should start a club. <laughs> Yeah. I'm sure there's a Facebook group out there. Yeah, there's tons of okay. drivers clubs, but yeah. Um, hmm. yeah. Well, that person is very cool. And yeah. Kudos to you. Lily, you are awesome. <laughs> All right, Lily. Well, very cool. I think we'll maybe wrap up there today, but you know where to find us. A week from today, we'll be right here, 5 p.m., live again. Streaming from MySpace. Streaming from MySpace. Yeah, they're adding on a new model. No, we'll be on TikTok. Um, in the meantime, feel free to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. YouTube, obviously TikTok, we'll be posting some clips from this podcast. If you miss any of this episode and you want to hear more, you can always um, stream the episode um, this week. It'll be posted to streaming platforms. It'll also be, the visual will be posted on YouTube. So if you want to watch us again, um, that's also there as well. Once again, this is Bring the Journey. Bring the Journey.